You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are continuing our series called Changed. And this is a discipleship conversation. And so as followers of Christ, we want to help people know Christ and, and, and engage with Christ. And we're looking at these stories as disciple makers to go, what does this look like? Um, one announcement, first of all, uh, if, we, if uh, any kiddos want to go to um, Children's Church, they can at this time, or they could stay in here. So uh, whichever works best for you and your family. But uh, we're in this series called Change. And it's a discipleship conversation. And we both want to talk about what does it mean to disciple people? What should we expect? What kinds of things will we see when, when Jesus enters into their life? But also, what should we expect when he enters into our life? And what kind of changes does Jesus want to make for us? So kind of a two-folded conversation. And this week, we're going to look at a pair of stories that kind of cross paths of each other. It's really a story that gets interrupted by another story. This is one of my favorite stories, and it's a story that uh, speaks a lot to me as a, as a church leader. And I think, it, uh, I, think it's, I think it should say a lot to us about uh, our, the ladies in our lives and Mother's Day and, and, and women within the church. I, we were going to have this conversation two weeks from now, and we decided to move it today. And I'm hoping I do this conversation justice. It's, um, it's an important conversation. But let's jump into Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had crossed over again into the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus, Jairus came up And on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Can you imagine the urgency of this request? And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. But this is where the first story is interrupted. A woman who'd had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had, she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd uh, behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in a crowd and said, "Who, who touched my garments? Who was that? 
And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And looking around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, first of all, the fact that this woman who had an affliction for 12 years is healed, that is cool. That's awesome. Some of us have, have faced long-term illness, either, either within ourselves or within a family member, someone close to us. I was thinking about the young man, Ryan, that we're praying for. Uh, the aunt emailed us from across the country. She emailed us and said, hey, will you pray for my nephew? And it was during, it was during uh, Lent, so I wasn't on Facebook, so I wasn't keeping track of like the daily progress. They have a Facebook page and they post there regularly. And, and we've, been, we've been praying for this young man. Uh, he fell into a fire and uh, his body has been burnt significantly. And he's going to spend 18 months in the hospital recovering from this accident. Just this uh, split second moment in time, man, if I could have just done that a little differently, my son would not be in the hospital kind of thing that a family's dealing with, right? And I'm thinking, man, 18 months? Like I know how long 18 months feels going back and forth to the hospital, let alone to be in the hospital for 18 months. And this woman is afflicted for 12 years. I have a hard time grasping what that's like. But remember, this is the interruption to the first story where, where, where Jairus is, is, is in a hurry because his 12-year-old daughter is near death. And he's trying to get the teacher there, trying to get the rabbi there. What I wonder, though, is why is she so afraid? This is not the kind of response you expect out of a person who was just healed by Jesus. I don't remember of another story where someone comes to Jesus, they're healed by him, and now they're afraid to talk to him. Usually, they're jumping up and down, they're celebrating, they're going into the temple. They're so excited to worship. They're, they're excited for everybody to know. What's this woman's story? Well, let's give you some context. And uh, there's, there's a couple words, Greek words, that are significant to the story. That what uh, the NAS uh, calls uh, hemorrhage um, is connected to Leviticus 15.25. Now, if a woman has a discharge, uh, a hemorrhage, same, same pair of Greek words, of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall be continued as though in her menstrual impurity, she is unclean. 
she is unclean. Now, we don't have that within Christianity. We don't have people that are clean or unclean based off of their, the time of month. In fact, we ask you not to tell us, right? <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> um, but there's this concept of clean and unclean that we need to wrestle with because this is a this is a Jewish concept. It's a Jewish idea. It's actually God's idea. It's in the scriptures. So we need to we need to understand this. The true Hebrew words are tahor and tameh. Okay, clean and unclean. Within Judaism, to be tahor means to be ritually pure. To be tameh means to be ritually impure. And it's really about the question of, am I ready? Have I readied myself to go into the presence of God? Am I spiritually ready to enter into his presence? Now there's a whole list that makes you unclean. Um, eating things are unkosher. Uh, having a seminal discharge, having menstrual discharges, touching things that are unclean or touching people that are unclean. So there's, there's a whole list and I, and I haven't even scratched the surface. But God always provides a way for a person to become clean so that they can enter into his presence. But what happens when for 12 years you are unclean? She, and she spent all of her money and she was taken advantage of. And I think the story for her was worse than that. Because if you're unclean, you can't go to the temple. You can't go to the synagogue. So, so you're prohibited from worshiping. You can't make a sacrifice. I mean, women didn't make sacrifices anyway, but as a man, if you're unclean, you weren't allowed to make a sacrifice. You weren't allowed to participate in the festivals. And again, this is God's idea. This, this was God's idea. And, and we could ask the question, well, why? And that's, that's a whole nother sermon. Like, what's God doing here? It's a whole nother sermon. But I don't want to miss what's going on in this particular story. Okay? But I want to give you a little bit more context. I want to make this a little uglier for us. I want us to understand this woman's reality. Take a look at this next quote by a, a rabbi from the second century. A community given to flattery is as loath as a menstruating woman. Oh. It hurts me every time I read it. It hurts me when I think about my mom, my wife, my daughters, and, and their experience. Can you imagine like the thing that makes it possible for us to be birthed into this world? This is religious prejudice. I don't think this is godly at all. 
And we see Jesus respond very differently towards this woman, right? Uh, one more thing, part of their prejudice, maybe part of our prejudice, to be seen as unclean is to be seen as being wicked. If you're unclean for 12 years, what did you do? What did your family do to God? Why are you being judged? Why is God judging you? Apparently he doesn't want you. You can spend all the money you want to. He doesn't want you. Was there prejudice? Was there prejudice? That was her reality. And I think it misses God's heart. I think it twists God's word. It's destructive. And in the super religious, they would avoid contact of, of women they didn't know so that they could continue to be able to worship God. They would avoid anybody, any woman that they didn't know. They would just walk around them. But Jesus did not loathe her. He called her daughter. And when she told him what took place, he wasn't offended that she touched him. Now, if he was heading to the synagogue that day, he wouldn't be able to go in. He'd be prohibited from worshiping, and he was, he was okay with that. He was okay with his worship being interrupted so that someone else's worship could be restarted. He healed her. And I think that's why he says, go in peace and, and be healed of your affliction. Like the, the fact that the, the blood stopped flowing didn't mean that, her, that the healing was done. The, the trauma, the PTSD, the, the neglect, the you're unclean, therefore we don't want to see you. That she experienced, like she would the healing process would need to continue. The emotional toll that this woman felt, she was afraid to talk to Jesus after he healed her. Have you ever had that experience? Where you were afraid to talk to your Savior because you felt unclean. This is her story. And and then there's the original story. Let's get back to the original story. So while he was still speaking, Jesus was still speaking to the woman, saying, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. They came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble a teacher anymore? And I'm going to pause right here for just a second. Because Jairus is connected to both of these women, his daughter and the one that Jesus called daughter. Jairus would have told her for 12 years, you cannot come in here. And, and, and he would have needed to. However, in that moment, 
did Jairus feel conviction in his heart for the way he said, you can't come in here, for the way that he saw this woman with prejudice, with the way he said, you can't come, with the way he thought that she was maybe wicked, did Jairus have to repent? Because I believe this is a God-ordained moment that God is bringing these two stories together. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, putting them out. He took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translates means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded, and he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. Now we mentioned that uh, Jesus was was not offended when the woman in her uncleanness came and touched him, right? He would be unclean for the rest of the day because of that woman. But look at Numbers 19.11. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Jesus was willing to become, even, to become unclean even longer for the dead girl. This story is about being clean and being unclean, about being seen and being unseen. It's a story of people that are desperate for God to show up. And I keep saying that this, this is two stories, but really it's, it's one story. Think about this. Two people fall at the feet of Jesus. There are two, two 12-year-olds in this story. One of spiritual isolation and one of a little girl. My next note is confusing me. Um, go ahead, next slide. All right. Uh, two feel fear. One feels fear of the crowd and, and feels fear of rejection and feels fear of, of, uh, of being condemned. The other one fears the loss of a child. There's two different crowds in this story. One that has rejected a person and another that's accepted. One that's there to mourn with the person. Again, there's two that are called daughter. The woman who's been afflicted for 12 years and then Jairus. Two are touched in this story. 
Jesus is touched by the woman. And then Jesus touches the 12-year-old daughter in order to raise her. Two were unclean in the story. Two were healed in the story. This is one story. Jairus and Jesus both stand at the center of this story. Now, Jairus was supposed to be the guy that helped people connect to his God. That's what, that's what we're called to as, as priests, as a kingdom of priests. That's what we're called to as a church is, is to help people connect to God. And I wonder if Jairus lost sight of his responsibilities. And I wonder if in this story, Jairus, Jairus is reminded of his responsibilities as Christ stands, stands there as the perfect priest, as our perfect high priest, Hebrews likes to say. And we don't have the tahor, tamay, the clean, unclean requirements that the Jews did and still do. We don't have those requirements as, as Christians. But why is feeling unclean such a common experience? Why is feeling like a spiritual pariah such a common experience? Well, first of all, there's sin. It's universal. Those clean, unclean rules are really meant to be as uh, just this picture that, that we need to ready ourselves to come into the presence, like, like it's a heart issue that we need to take care of. We need to recognize our need to be clean. And sin is universal. I've got it. You've got it. We've got it. It's universal. But there's other things. Divorce. Whether it's your divorce or divorce in the family. And how many kids are impacted by the divorce of their parents and, and feel in some way, shape, or form that it's their fault? How universal is that? Addiction. And again, it, it could be your addiction or it could be addiction within your family. And, and the things that we don't want to talk about out in public. I was in my mid-40s before I said the words, oh, I grew up in an addicted home. I grew in a home with addiction. I never said those words prior to being roughly 45. I don't think I wanted to say those words. Addiction, illness, long-term illness can make you feel separated, isolated, Unseen, seen as less than. Obesity in our culture. You know, there's some cultures that I'd be a pretty good looking man. <laughs> in this culture, boy, I worry about my weight a lot because of the, the messages that we send culturally. Sexual assault. Uh, just to keep from 
shedding a lot of tears this morning. I'll probably just not say a whole lot on this one. Uh, I just know that the people in my family that have dealt with that, it hurts. Mental illness, uh, and especially within the big, big C church, me- mental illness, like, oh, oh, you have Jesus. That, that can't be your problem. Or maybe we have the same kinds of problems within the church that are outside the church, and we, get, and we, and we just need to work through that. Depression, anxiety. Again, these are words that within the big C church that we don't usually talk about. Don't we try not to talk about singleness? Within within culture, within community, within family, within church, sometimes too often, singleness is looked down upon. Even if it's a, a, a choice, a person makes like, yeah, I'm just I want to be single. The rest of culture, family, within the church conversation, within leadership conversations, can be looked down upon. Uh, the LGBTQ, the religious and social prejudice I see with this community, I think is harmful. And I don't think both religiously and within our social construct, we have a great conversation about the LGBTQ. I think historically, it's been really painful and really shaming. And it's almost like, hey, uh, you go deal with your desires, and then you come talk to us. Then we'll talk to you about Jesus. We'll introduce you to Jesus when you don't have that problem anymore. It's almost the message I think I see sometimes. Race. Skin tone is maybe one or two within culture, within our country, and even within churches. I, I know friends with different races that have gone to churches in this town for weeks and never had anybody ever say hi to them. It's wrong. And people feel shame. They feel unclean just because of their heritage and because of the messages that they hear society, within society. But more universal than, than all of these, I think it's just being a woman. Are women within culture, within within religion, all, all the religions can be made to feel, to be unclean, to be seen as less than. The, and we got to get past that. And as a church, we need to do something about that. And we have to know that Jesus doesn't see anybody as unclean just for just for being just for breathing just for being alive and that universally we all deal with sin 
and have the same sin problems. We got to deal with the prejudice that's within our culture and, and, and too often within churches. Because Jesus sees you, ladies, and he calls you daughter. All of us are reaching out to something, to someone to feel better, to feel different, to feel clean. All of us are, are reaching out for something. Sometimes people reach out to, to, to drugs or alcohol. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's fame, it's, it's fortune, it's, you know, all, we're all reaching out to something or to someone to feel better. because of the messages that we receive within society, the messages we receive within our family, because of our, our experiences as people, the problems, the challenges that we face. And Jesus wants to do something about that. He wants to do something about that through his church. And we should be, as the hands and feet of Jesus, we should, we should be tearing down these prejudices and saying that's unbiblical and it's ungodly. And we should be the ones that are inviting people in to experience Jesus, not pushing them out. So some implications. Number one, life changes when you understand that Jesus sees you as valuable and you invite him into whatever area of uncleanness you have in your life. He sees you as valuable. Invite him in. Invite him in. Number two, once you've invited him in, doggedly pursue Jesus and wash away every area of perceived and real uncleanness. Just because we invite Jesus into our life once doesn't mean that, that every area of uncleanness. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. Um, when I turned 10, I, got, I was bigger than my mom. My mom was 5'2", weighed 105 pounds wet. Uh, didn't take much for me to outgrow my mom. When I outgrew her, she had a hard time knowing how to cuddle, snuggle, she'd be affectionate towards me as a person. Because I reminded her of her abuser from her childhood. Had nothing to do with me. Had to do with her feeling unclean because of someone else's sin. And my mom received Christ in her, in her 30s, 40s. I received Christ at age six. But it wasn't until this last summer that I came face to face with why I've always felt unclean. And I couldn't even put words to it. I need Jesus to heal that area of my life too. I need Jesus to heal that area of life too. And then 
I make mistakes. I do wrong things. I screw up and I need to be forgiven. And 1 John 1, 9 is a verse I go to. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we need to doggedly pursue every area of our lives of either perceived or real uncleanness. Maybe there's, there's things in my life that are, it's real. Rob, really, I need to own that. But there's some things, it's just it's perceived and I can't even put words to it sometimes. Or it's my experience within culture. It's my experience with, within community. It's my experience from my past. It's my experience with my parents and their brokenness or, or, or people with prejudice in this town. And it makes me feel unclean. And I imagine you have that too. That there's areas in your life because either your skin tone or because you happen to be a woman or you got experiences, someone else sinned, and you feel unclean. Let's pursue Jesus in all those areas. And then the third implication, and this is for our disciple makers. Discipleship sees past a person's messiness and touches those who've been ignored. It says, I'm willing to be in your world. I'm willing to be in your life, even though it's messy, even though I see challenges there. I, I, I see some things that I know that Jesus is going to want to deal with at some point, but right now I just want you to know that I love you and I care for you. And you don't have to have, you don't have, to have even the right beliefs in this moment. I'm just going to meet you where you're at. Discipleship sees past a person's messiness and touches those who have been ignored. I wonder what Jairus learned about his 12-year interaction with this woman. Because not only did, did Jesus want to free this woman to be able to worship her God the way she longed for, to, she spent everything to be welcomed back into community again, to be able to worship again. But Jesus wanted this religious leader to know how to lead people, how to connect people to the Father. That you're to be a gateway, not a gate. As disciple makers, we have to see past the messiness. See the person God created them to be. Have vision for what's possible in their life because of who Jesus is. Not what's impossible because of their past. No one's past makes anything impossible according to Jesus Christ. Resurrection is possible. Restoration is possible. And we have to be that kind of church. Today, there may be a myriad of reasons why you feel unclean and therefore unseen. I want you to know that Jesus sees you. 
He loves you and he invites you in. And that's why he came. We have this perspective that, uh, you know, that uh, God's not able to enter in where there's sin. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He entered in. Like he, he was surrounded by sinners. If he came today, he'd still be surrounded by sinners. He came to make you clean. And he came to make you seen. To know that he sees you, he loves you, and he values you. And we see you too. I'm grateful for every one of you that's here today. Your beautiful kaleidoscope. We want to journey with you. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.